Welcome to the Words That Minister Grace podcast. In this podcast, we read excerpts from books that the host finds edifying. Expect to hear from authors such as Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and J.C. Ryle. We take our name from Ephesians 4.29, where Paul exhorts us that our speech should build up each other, or as the King James says, minister grace. I am your host, the fake King Hesse. In this episode, we continue our reading of Calvin's Institutes Book 2, Chapter 8. We'll be reading sections 11 through 12. 11. It will now be proper to consider what is meant by the division of the divine law into two tables. It will be judged by all men of sense from the formal manner in which these are sometimes mentioned, that it has not been done at random or without reason. Indeed, the reason is so obvious as not to allow us to remain in doubt with regard to it. God thus divided his law into two parts, containing a complete rule of righteousness, that he might assign the first place to the duties of religion which relate especially to his worship, and the second to the duties of charity which have respect to man. The first foundation of righteousness undoubtedly is the worship of God. When it is subverted, all the other parts of righteousness, like a building rent asunder and in ruins, are racked and scattered. What kind of righteousness do you call it not to commit theft and rapine if you, in the meantime, with impious sacrilege, rob God of his glory, or not to defile your body with fornication if you profane his name with blasphemy, or not take away the life of man if you strive to cut off and destroy the remembrance of God? It is vain, therefore, to talk of righteousness apart from religion. Such righteousness has no more beauty than the trunk of a body deprived of its head. Nor is religion the principal part merely. It is the very soul by which the whole lives and breathes. Without the fear of God, men do not even observe justice and charity among themselves. We say, then, that the worship of God is the beginning and foundation of righteousness, and that wherever it is wanting any degree of equity or continence or temperance existing among men themselves is empty and frivolous in the sight of God. We call it the source and soul of righteousness, inasmuch as men learn to live together temperately about injury, when they revere God as the judge of right and wrong. In the first table, accordingly, he teaches us how to cultivate piety and the proper duties of religion in which his worship consists. In the second, he shows how, in the fear of his name, we are to conduct ourselves towards our fellow men. Hence, as related by the evangelist, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Luke ten twenty seven, Our Savior summed up the whole law in two heads, viz, to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. You see how, of the two parts under which he comprehends the whole law, he devotes the one to God and assigns the other to mankind. Twelve. But although the whole law is contained in two heads, yet in order to remove every pretext for excuse, the Lord has been pleased to deliver more fully and explicitly in Ten Commandments everything relating to his honor, fear, and love, as well as everything relating to the charity which, for his sake, he adjoins us to have towards our fellow men. Nor is it an unprofitable study to consider the division of the commandments, 
provided we remember that it is one of those matters in which every man shall have full freedom of judgment, and on account of which difference of opinion should not lead to contention. We are indeed under the necessity of making this observation. Lest the vision which we are to adopt should excite the surprise or derision of the reader as novel or of recent invention. There is no room for controversy as to the fact that the law is divided into ten heads since this is repeatedly sanctioned by divine authority. The question, therefore, is not as to the number of the parts, but the method of dividing them. Those who adopt a division which gives three commandments to the first table and throws the remaining seven into the second table expunge the commandment concerning images from the list, or at least conceal it under the first, though there cannot be a doubt that it was distinctly set down by the Lord as a separate commandment, whereas this tenth, which prohibits the coveting of what belongs to our neighbor, they absurdly break down into two. Moreover, it will soon appear that this method of dividing was unknown in a purer age. Others count four commandments in the first table as we do, but for the first set down the inductory promise without adding the precept. But because I must hold, unless I am convinced by clear evidence to the contrary, that the ten words mentioned by Moses are ten commandments, and because I see that number arranged in most admirable order, I must, while I leave them to hold their own opinion, follow what appears to me better established, viz. that what they make to be the first commandment is of the nature of a preface to the whole law, that thereafter follow four commandments in the first table, and six in the second, in the order in which they will here be reviewed. This division Origen adopts without discussion, as if it had been everywhere received in his day. It is also adopted by Augustine in his book addressed to Boniface, where, enumerating the commandments, he follows this order. Let one God be religiously obeyed, let no idol be worshipped, let the name of God be not used in vain. While previously he had made separate mention of the typical commandment of the Sabbath. Elsewhere, indeed, he expresses approbation of the first division, but on two slight grounds. Because, by the number three, making the first table consisting of three commandments, the mystery of the Trinity would be better manifested. Even here, however, he does not disguise his opinion that in other respects our division is more to his mind. Besides these, we are supported by the author of an unfinished work on Matthew. Josephus, no doubt with the general consent of his age, assigns five commandments to each table. This, while repugnant to reason, inasmuch as it confounds the distinction between piety and charity, is also refuted by the authority of our Savior. Who in Matthew places the commandment to honor parents in the list of those belonging to the second table? Matthew 19, 19. Let us now hear God speaking in his own words. Thanks for listening. In the show notes, you can find contact information and a link to the text from today. Remember to heed Paul when he says in Ephesians 4.29 to Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers.